You're listening to The Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined with my good friend, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at Harvard of Public Health. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Hi. Doing well. How are you doing, Matt? I am doing pretty well. Just totally a side note, Mark cannot be with us today. He is actually in the hospital doing work, but he'll be back with us on Friday, which leads us to uh, let you all know that we are striving to pull these out and put these out, push these out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday each and every week until the coronavirus begins to dissipate and um, we start having less news to share with you. But right now, it feels like we could probably do it every day and still (laughs) not have enough to be able to, enough time to share all the news with you. So our goal is to provide 15 to 25 minutes of valuable content. And we do have a special guest. I'm not going to say who yet, but she is on hanging out, just chilling. Uh, Before we get that, I want to share a story. So this is actually has some context. I trust me on this. Um, so lastly, so today is my birthday. So this shameless plug, it's my birthday. If you want to like, you know, buy me some flowers, go ahead. Um, and last night I had, a, I, have to, I have to teach class late at night. So I come home and I open the door and the house is like spotless. And for some of you are like, oh, so what? This is a huge, a huge victory for my wife because we have three kids, five, four, and two, who their natural propensity is to destroy everything in their midst. So to maintain a clean house in a full day is nearly impossible. So I come in and it's perfectly clean. And then I look up, there's a beautiful banner of happy birthday, Dada. I love you. There's like pictures of like little birthday cakes. And my kids come to me and they show me the poster and over and over they say, Dada, Dada, I made that for you because I love you. I clean the house because I love you. And this sounds irre- like not relevant, but it is because it realized for me the power of a moment. Because, okay, you're, you're inundated. There's all this news about the coronavirus. Sometimes you get really afraid. You can have panic. And then I step in this other world and I see my kids and I realize, oh my gosh, there's something bigger in this world than this. And I just realized the power of an experience can change your entire mindset in a split second. I want to hold that thought because we're going to come back to that with our guest in probably about 10 minutes. Uh, but uh, I, it was a powerful moment with me. I want to share with you so we can talk more about that at the end of this episode. But let's get to end of the news. So Stephen's on with me. Last time we chatted, the U.S. It was on, uh, what's today, Wednesday, Monday. There was just over 550 confirmed cases in the U.S. So now we have over 1,000. And so now I, I started reading this, this, this uh, stuff in, within the, 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 the news about how maybe there's a model from Harvard or there's something going on by which there's a potential by which we, in about a week or two, could become like Italy. So I'm going to know, Stephen, is this really true? Um, well, I think uh, the story is... I can definitely say more nuanced than that. So one of the fundamental rules that we think about in epidemiology is that no two countries are alike. Um, So there are all sorts of things that differ between countries that are relevant to infectious disease transmission, everything from the climate to the interpersonal contact rates. Um, One of the key differences between the U.S. and Italy is that we're about six times as big. So Hmm. even though we've crossed the same number of cases, the number of cases per capita is is about six times smaller than it was Hmm. in Italy at this point. So and they're spread across an area that is um, I believe larger than than mainland Europe in the United States, mm-hmm. right? So, so what the the proper comparison really is between ourselves and 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 Europe, maybe to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's really difficult to make these sorts of comparisons. So, I, I don't want to downplay the fact that like the coronavirus is absolutely spreading in the United States, and there are probably a lot of cases that we haven't detected, and that we're going to start seeing rises in the next couple of weeks. But that said, you know. Um, 
a number of universities have begun canceling classes. Um, various organizations have encouraged people to work from home. There are these uh, sorts of distancing measures going into place. Um, and as far as I can tell, they're they're going into place at a relatively earlier time than um, than what I'm aware they occurred in Italy. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to stay a little bit um, further ahead of this. Um, and I think there's reason to think that we won't necessarily be on that same trajectory. As you just said, Stephen, I see. Uh, so I work uh, close to the University of Colorado Boulder, and just an hour ago, we heard that they just school, they just closed schools for the semester. So, in light of this, and you just said, I think Harvard is is is, is closing, and and it seems to be trickling across the U.S. And so, I, and I'm getting some feedback from our our episodes of just asking the question: what what should what should we do? Like, what what's our proper response? I mean, really, I mean, I get it, hand washing, and there's memes all over the place, but I'm guessing there's more that that could be done. Uh, and you know, for example, you know, again, it's my birthday, and Friday I'm supposed to be going out with a friend. In a public yep. setting with other people, right? Who could be coughing and hacking on me? So should I be going out on Friday night, given that it's growing? What's, what is, what, ultimately, like, what should I be, you know, I have people who um, are asking me, hey, I'm going uh, to Tahoe in a, in a week and a half. Should I, should I be canceling my flight or should I be going? So maybe talk back, what, what should we be doing at this moment? Should we be following suit with the universities? I mean, they're closing universities. Should I close my house down and just stay in there? You know, like... <laughs> What's real? Like, I, you know, what's a real response? Yeah. Well, I think that um, the way that I've been thinking about this question is is really in terms of the two goals that we have now. And we mentioned on the last podcast that we shifted from this containment to mitigation effort. Yeah. And so in terms of mitigation, really the, the goals that I think we ought to have right now are, are primarily um, – protecting the people who are most at risk of severe infection from becoming ill. Mm -hmm. And second, to prevent um, ourselves from getting ill and to basically spread out infections as much as we can so that we don't cause this massive drain on the healthcare system. Mm. So the best way we know how to do that is by sort of in avoiding as many interpersonal contexts as we can and as is feasible within the con confines of our life. So mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that you should, you know, just sort of bunker down in your houses right now. You know, that's, it's, we're, we're, we're not to that point. Um, but I think that uh, the, the key term that I've been thinking about is um, elective or voluntary or, uh, you know, unessential sorts of yeah. travel, sorts of um, interactions in society. So, you know, if, if it's possible to, you know, maybe have your buddy over to your house for a beer or something, then I'd, I'd say go for it because, you know, why not? Um, Should I swap him first and give him a tested? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. I'm just checking. Yeah. But, um, you know, as, as, as we said, you know, the, the individual risk right now of infection is relatively low, but the, the key is to keep it that way, right? And the best way we know to keep it that way is to, you know, to try to interact with the same people every day and make that a small number of people. Um, and otherwise, you know, uh, Skype and write letters and take care of people in the ways that you know how and really try to try to reach out to people, but do so in a way that there's a less risk of spreading infection. Okay. I think that's great. I, I think that what you said is like uh, those things that are optional, maybe we, can, we should consider or reconsider going. And I'm following that same pattern in my own life. I'm like, Grant, I'm not panicked, and we're going to talk about this in just send it a second. Uh, but there's, as Stephen said, there's two things I'm, I'm you know, I, I want to do. You know, I, I want to help reduce the number of transmissions because I know I'm not getting affected, but I know it could affect somebody uh, like my my mother-in-law. And so, uh, doing whatever I can to help uh, prevent this for two reasons. Now, you know, last Monday, uh, Stephen mentioned about uh, really just trying to get ahead of the vaccine and just kind of keep it from peaking. And then now we're talking about the idea of like, yeah, this. 
the last thing we want to do is overload the health system by which you know the clinics are so full they can't even deal with it. And so to take a responsibility, I mean, I was just getting my my haircut, which I was literally deliberating that this morning. I'm like, should I go get my haircut? I don't even know. And uh, I, nonetheless, I went. Thankfully, I went at 9 a.m. when nobody was there. And I was talking to my hairstylist, and she's like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And that's what kind of that's what kind of freaks me out. You know, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. the actual coronavirus. It said that I don't care. It's a self-serving mentality that like, it doesn't really affect me. And that is so true. Good job. And we have a responsibility to protect those who are on the margin who could be infected. Right. And so Absolutely. that's, that's the goal. And, and to me, if we k- keep this mindset, it shifts everything. It makes me excited because at the fundamental, like who I am, at least I think I'm this way at the, at the core of my being, I'm made to be a gift, right? To someone else. And now whoever I can do this. And so it was an opportunity. Now granted, do I really want to come through the coronavirus? And that wasn't really what I selected for my number one option to give myself, but, but it offers me the opportunity to do this and it puts it in a new framework. So I hope that puts for those who are listening, the reframe this is really, really important to, 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 to equip us who actually have the capacity to, to help those and help prevent the healthcare system to be overloaded. But that goes back to another question I just want to ask you, and, and we'll transition here in just a second. So in light of that, I canceled, I have a retreat that I was going to lead in Estes Park in Colorado, beautiful mountains, and I canceled it. We're going to, we're going to be grounded here at St. Tom's, and, and uh, they gave a lot of options, like trying to push us, I think they want our money. Uh, but I, in the end, the reason why I did is like, I didn't want to have to go to a cafeteria with like five, 600, 700 people with their grubby little hands. And, and especially when we have some of these people who are over 60 years of age coming to retreat, I just didn't want to risk it. And then also, I just want to do everything in my power, right, to help mitigate the, 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 the spread of this. And so my question to you then, Stephen, is I'm thinking other people are going to have the same thing. If you're bunkering down and we're having a retreat this weekend, and I'm not taking the restaurant, but we're going to order in. Sounds like a stupid question, but... I have these questions come up like, well, so if I order takeout, like, what do I do? I mean, like, could it be on my burger? And like, how long does it last? And should I wipe off my pizza box before I eat it? Like, what you can you speak a little bit into like, is this overreacting? Or is it like, oh, go ahead, give it a wipe. Or you know what, it doesn't last long on that kind of stuff. So don't sweat it. Yeah, I mean, so certainly the coronavirus and many other pathogens can you know, exist on surfaces and this sort of thing. But um, as far as I know, the risk of transmission is probably much less than if you're actually sitting next to someone who's actively you know, sure. shedding virus. So um, these things are, are very uh, sensitive to temperature. So if, if you've cooked your food, it's not going to be on it anymore. That's, I can guarantee that. Sure. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think here the sort of the main public health sort of strategies apply where, you know, you probably don't need to wipe down your pizza box, but just you know, wash your hands, you know, mm. open up the box, wash your hands, eat a slice of pizza and you'll be all right. Well done. Okay. That's great. So good. So I don't have to like spray my burger down with Lysol and then eat it because that would totally change <laughs> that, the taste. I, you know, I, I don't know how that would taste, but uh, you let me know. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know on, I'll let you know on Monday. Yeah. I'll, pro- I'll probably be away sick. Yeah, <laughs> with, with, with with some kind of lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't get the coronavirus, but I got. Uh, yeah, I was. I went to poison control. Um, <laughs> well, great. Okay, so uh, warnings to stay away from anything that may not be necessary for a while, uh, just to do our best to help kind of present to pe- the peak. So that leads to the to the next part of this 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 episode is uh, I want to introduce our guest uh, Adina C and uh, the reason why I say C is I try to say her last name and I thought I could just nail it uh, but uh, in the fear that I would totally butcher it uh, she was so kind to say I could just say the first initial of her last name so Adina uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're, it's great to have you. So uh, Adina is a friend of Stephen from uh, the Harvard School of, of, of Health. And I forget, what is your uh, particular post, uh, postdoc title? 
just a research fellow in the Department of Social and Behavioral Science yes, at the Harvard Behavior. School of Public Health. Great. Yes. So I wanted to have her on because we can, we can see this all over, this nature of panic. People are panicking. Uh, the, the word panic has been used all over the place. Like where I see people mocking panic, uh, uh, expediting panic. And so I kind of wanted to just spend 10 minutes reflecting on this nature of panic. And first of all, I noticed in my life, sometimes it's easy to then um, take jabs at a particular word of people and not even know what we're really talking about. We just simply just use the word as kind of a sword uh, or a weapon to uh, do something with without fully understanding what it is. So I want to take a step back. And Dina, could you tell us a little bit about like, what is panic, right? And how does it differ between anxiety and worry and all these different kind of uh, behaviors that, that, that are fear-based? Yes, definitely. So I think in like lay terms, we kind of use maybe these three terms interchangeably, like anxiety, worry, panic. And uh, what they actually mean from, from like a clinical standpoint, anxiety and panic are states. Mm. as in like emotional states okay. and anxiety is a state of arousal whereas panic is like an extreme level of anxiety so it's about severity here okay. and worry what we call it is a symptom of anxiety but it's not really a feeling where it worrying is a cognitive ability it's like when we interpret the reality around us and we put it into words and about the coronavirus it would be stuff that maybe goes through our mind at the level of awareness or not something like coronavirus is really deadly. I, I think it's a really dangerous situation. I need to get out or I'm going to die if I get in contact with somebody who might be sick. Or if I take the subway, this is going to be really terrible. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So this is the, the type of worry that we do. And that as a result of engaging in these kind of like what we call them negative thoughts or worries, then there's like an emotional response. And the immediate one would be an anxious response. Mm -hmm. And and we feel it. It's a se sense of arousal. Like we probably hyperventilate a little bit. Our hands get a little bit clammy. Our breathing gets a bit tough. And we, we feel a knot in our chest. And that is anxiety. That can go on like different degrees. And when this anxiety gets to a really, really extreme state, then we reach panic. And it's often panic is often reflected through like a panic attack, mm -hmm. which is really a crisis mode mm -hmm. that could feel for some people like they're going through a heart attack. Sure. In fact, it's an anxious response in which the, the, the symptom, like the, the nervous system is so overloaded that, mm -hmm. that it, it needs a bit of a reset. Okay. And that's what a panic attack is. Okay. So I think to kind of like draw a bit of a conclusion like panic and anxiety these are emotions mm -hmm. that, that we experience as people and they're in response to what happens around us or somehow how we interpret the reality that that happens around us okay great and, and so then okay so somebody goes from i could see this already now this this idea of okay i'm in the news i'm watching it every day i'm constantly absorbed you know i have my little i'm following the tag coronavirus so it's popping up every five minutes okay. so it's in my face and so then i'm thinking about it and then now i go from thinking about it to what you said it's, it's a cognitive response mm -hmm. so then that's like a there are two there are two wings of a dove and so now I'm getting to worry about this. At some right. point in time, I guess just the body just flips and mm -hmm. just can't take it anymore and turn maybe not all the time, but at some point in time it and then turns into a panic attack. So right. in light of on a corporate level, individual level, um 
what 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 are the negative consequences when we as an individual and maybe you can speak to a corporate if you can but at least on an individual what are the negative consequences psychologically and physiologically that happen with mm-hmm. panic attacks that that maybe keep us from actually doing what we want to do but the problem with the panic attacks actually is like once you experience one one you develop this fear that it's going to happen again mm. and you live in the state of hypervigilance that what if it happens again? Mm. So then you put a lot of safety things in place to, to prevent that from happening. And that is a state that's not that compatible with making good decisions with like, you know, have living a normal, uh, normal life. Mm-hmm. But that's where the impairment is not necessarily from those two to 10 minutes that that were so intense, mm-hmm. but it's what happens in between these episodes that, that alters the quality of life for, for, for some people. Mm-hmm. That, I think it's really important what you just mentioned about a minute ago, but this idea of like hypervigilance, because I think there's two <laughs> things that I, that, I, that I see that, and the reason why we're talking about this in this episode is just that seeing this kind of widespread panic, and I get it, it, it that it, 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 this, this, oh, there's a lot of fear, and there's because we'll talk about maybe why in just a couple minutes, but uh, some of the self-fulfilling prophecies that come from this where you, know, you want to do something, Right? You want to do something, and then you get panicked, and then you're unable to do it because you're just so paralyzed. You know, there's there's like simple things that like you know, we were preparing our own house for like getting some supplies together, and we're so um, focused on maybe the uh, anxious parts of this that we forgot to fill our soap dispensers in the house with soap, but yet we got the toilet paper for a year supply, right? You know, so the, you, you forget about the reality of the, what, what really yeah. works. And so the rationality kind of avo- can, can, can go away for a couple minutes, which is scary. And, and on a long term, it could really cause, a, you know, a double impact. And, and then also you mentioned about the, this idea of the vigorousness of it, that being this constant state of fatigue just really mm-hmm. pre- pre- just prevents you from then. And then you feel less in control, right? Because now you want to do something and it just never yeah. ends because you're fatigued. And you, but then you don't do anything because you're fatigued. You stare at a blank wall, and then now you're even more anxious because you didn't do anything. You didn't even wash your hands. That's and, exactly how anxiety goes. Yeah. it's a vicious circle. The more you engage with the whole process of worry, let's say, which is a, a symptom of both uh, anxiety and panic, the more fatigued you are, and yeah. the more the less likely that you're going to make the decisions that are that are good for you. Uh, Steven just mentioned he had to go, so uh, he is off right now. He has a meeting, so it's just Adina and I the, to, to finish this up, which I think is is perfect. Maybe just talk about, like, okay, we're panicked. We're in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and why do you feel like we, particularly in the U.S., do you feel like mm-hmm. uh, we're in such a panicked state right now? So my sense is that during this this time around the, the COVID-19 kind of issues that we're dealing with, it's like, we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. We know some things about the the virus and how it spreads, but maybe we don't need the whole story. We don't know the whole story. So this level of uncertainty kind of feeds right into our, our, our sense of like, we don't have control over this. We actually don't, in fact, know mm-hmm. how it's going to get go if we do contact the, the, the disease and all these kind of things. So our kind of difficulty in managing or tolerating uncertainty feeds right into our anxiety and that probably elevates it to 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 a point where we see it today and and then it spreads because um if we are around anxious people we are going to be anxious mm. if we are around people who are displaying kind of symptoms of panic 
we are going to develop that too because it's such like a an easy thing to learn through simple observation or vicariously through stories from other people mm. so that's kind of how how it spreads yeah and so then in light of that i sorry i just had this flash this image of like okay this is why having little rugrats around is just so important <laughs> because they're not anxious they're totally oblivious to what's really going on and to see their little faces it just grounds you it just grounds you instantly because right. again if you're if you're around it right um you just get sucked into it and then i go escape and to the life of my three sons and all they want to do is play and do funny things and it just brings you out of that and so it distracts you from from all this like intense overload Mm -hmm. and that's a wonderful strategy actually to deal with anxiety to Mm -hmm. shift your focus away from whatever it is that's causing the the anxiety yeah and so landing with that like uh, adina what are some things that we could do this person like i mean uh, obviously we're not going to stop watching the news. So, um, so, uh, that's, that's, that's not an option. So what can we do right now to like help us be grounded, help us to kind of get out to be able to embrace uncertainty without feeling like we're, uh, succumbing to the, the virus, right. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that, that we're surrendering to it, to it because, uh, we're uh, embracing uncertainty that that actually is not, um, a relationship between those two. <laughs> Right. So I, I just want to start right there where, where you said, like, we're not going to stop watching the news. And that, that that's true. We need to be informed <laughs> yeah. during this time. But perhaps what we could do is limit the the amount of time that we actually get exposed to this kind of information per day. Yeah. Because regardless of how well we can manage our anxiety or maybe that we're not anxious at all, exposure to this we will cause some anxiety in everyone. So, you know, there's some recommendations out there that maybe we should just like keep it to like an hour or two a day Mm -hmm. in which we watch news. And ideally we would go to reputable sources that are trustworthy Mm -hmm. and and so forth. So that's one thing that we could do. Limit the amount of exposure that would also contain the worry. And then other more kind of like psychologically minded intervention that we would uh, maybe recommend to people would be to stuff that that you were kind of mentioning, like reshift our focus from like the distress, the worrying, the anxiety to something else, such as an activity Mm. that would kind of make us focus on something else. And for some people it could be an exercise. Some people could be something collateral, like reading a book. Some people need to be a bit more directive in, in the way they reshift focus. So an intervention that we use sometimes in psychology is like being mindful. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could do that with simple tasks around the house. Like you're washing the dishes, but you're being mindful mm-hmm. to the sensations that you're feeling. Or when you're eating, you can be mindful to the taste that you're experiencing mm-hmm. or the textures of the food. And what that does, it takes the focus away from, from the rumination and worry that goes into mm-hmm. it. it in your head to the activity at hand, mm. uh, which is incompatible to, to anxiety and it kind of keeps you grounded a little bit. Um, mm. something else that that's really happening or I think it's happening around, uh, around this time is like this thing that it might, might sound uh, a bit uh, strange, but it, we call it emotional reasoning. So basically it's like reasoning based on how we feel. So yeah. we feel scared. We feel frightened. We feel panicky. And then we automatically conclude that whatever is happening must be really dangerous. Otherwise, we wouldn't be feeling this way. So that's something that we can actively kind of slow down a little bit by being aware that we're engaging in that kind of processing, I I, I would call it, because it's sort of a cognitive uh, exercise that we all engage in when we do this emotional reasoning. 
So be aware that it's happening and then uh, shift focus away from it, like disengage, say, from it. Hmm. It, it speaks loudly of the whole emotional reasoning uh, that totally hits home with me in my own life. And just kind of mm-hmm. the idea that because I'm afraid, that validates, right? And uh, I know yeah. I, th- I think a therapist once told me to like, uh, oh, at those point in time or to help on somebody else to just at that point in time, just recall what are the facts? Like, what are the actual mm-hmm. facts? Just, just to take a step back and like, you know, and so, th- so then you can at least discriminate between the emotion, the facts exactly. and reattach What's yourself. What's the evidence for yeah. yep. feeling yeah. this way and evidence that goes against that, that mm-hmm. that's another great strategy. You're right. And I, and then I think the one thing I think about as well, I want to encourage people, uh, Adina, you already kind of started this is that, uh, in light of this time where we might be going to like a little bit more kind of just like social distancing just for a little bit, just to try to get things under control, uh, that, uh, to schedule, to really schedule your day. Uh, I think it's all the more important. Uh, it, it gives a real sense of control. So like, uh, yeah, go ahead, schedule your hour to worry, uh, put it on your calendar, put it in your calendar for like to do the news, um, and then schedule an hour to do something like uh, a hobby or, a, or a connect with someone, but you're scheduling something to look forward to. So you don't end up just kind of going in this, like, uh, uh, this like wheel that you're kind of like a yeah. gerbil on a wheel. Ruminated. Yeah. Ruminated. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of constantly making sure that your day has these really big, important rocks in them mm-hmm. and allowing you that freedom to say, no, I get it. I get a chance to worry. And that's my day. I can, it's at four to 5 PM. I'll, when I get there, it's already in my calendar. If somebody wants to have a phone call, I'm busy that day. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm worrying. Right. Uh, I think that at least for me, it helps me a lot to give me the freedom that okay, I have something to look forward to. I know I get an outlet, uh, but just allowing people to, to use that as a framework to help uh, mm-hmm. kind of stay grounded as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you you also said there, I, I thought was really nice, maintaining some sort of routine throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So we're getting so many messages about social distancing, yeah. which is fine. And it, it, it's probably a great idea. It's just that that could also lead some people into mm-hmm. isolation. Yeah. And like not not doing many things as they would probably otherwise mm-hmm. if there was no um, no ban imposed on socializing. So uh, yeah, maintaining routines as much as possible, I think that keeps your day going and, yeah. and keeps your, your life on some sort of normal um, flow. Yeah, And that, that's probably very important to maintain. Mm-hmm. And then before we, we're, go, we're going a little long here, but I want to end with this and I want to bring in Adina for this as well. There's a book I read about a year ago called The Oz Principle by uh, Roger Connors. And he has this thing called like the culture pyramid. And it's really, I think it's a, it's a great example of how we can kind of use this to, to apply to our own life. And he has this pyramid, which the top of uh, uh, the point of it is like the results we're looking for. So, you know, the results could be anything. We're looking for peace. We're looking to, to, to mitigate, to get rid of the coronavirus. The results we're looking to have some joy in our life. And then from that uh, comes action, action lead to these results and we could have bad actions, you know, or, or ruminating, right. Could lead to some bad results, right. Healthy mm-hmm. actions lead to good results. And so, but then even below that is our beliefs. Our beliefs are what actually ground our actions. It kind of solidifies us from our beliefs about ourselves and the people and the perception of the virus and what's true and what's <laughs> not true um, lead to particular actions like buying to- tons of toilet paper. And the result is that people who need it don't have it right now. Um, or in uh, face masks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Face masks, right? All over the yeah. place. So, and, but then that's not the end of it, right? The, the base, the pyramid, Connor says, is actually experience. Experience 
grounds us and forms our beliefs. Beliefs then forms our actions and actions lead to our results. And so what I want to come back to is the idea of really trying to cultivate um, profound experiences in the midst of this time by which it's going to be a couple months by which we'll be living somewhat differently, but at the same time to look for and try to create experiences just like last night when I came home and I had that profound experience of my birthday early. Now, granted, you can't celebrate your birthday every day for two months. It just gets kind of old, but new ways by which you can create new experiences to create moments in the midst of this. You know, I was just looking at a blog post from, um, from China about the woman that's still in quarantine and then for like 45 days. And, uh, and, and it was all a blog post of the gifts that come have come from this. They've been in their apartment for 45 days. You know, and one of the things the woman said is like, I've never connected so much with my kids because you usually want to farm them out to outside a playground because you're just annoyed with them, but you can't. And so just seeing that opportunity to reconnect in new ways. So even though I want to, I want to really encourage everyone, even though there might be some social distance, like I might not be hang with my buddy on Friday, that does not mean I don't connect. I can still connect and connect in new ways that could probably facilitate deeper relationships. So that I think there could be a real gift that comes from that. Okay. I think that's all we have time for. Thank you, Adina, for coming on. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're absolutely welcome. Uh, Steven had to bail out. Like I said, he had to go to a meeting. Uh, a couple things. We're going to start a, 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 a basically, uh, what do you call it? Oh, I can't think of the name. It is Patreon, a Patreon website. Uh, for those of you who would like to donate to this podcast, just to help us uh, get some more equipment and these kind of things, we'd love for you to do that. As little as $5 a month can help us a lot, kind of move this forward. We'd love to keep doing this for you. Uh, we haven't got it out yet. We'll put it in the show notes. If you have any questions, you can actually uh, uh, tweet uh, Stephen Kissler at as Stephen Kissler, so at S T E P H E N K I S S L E R, uh, or you can actually hashtag pandemic podcast on Twitter if you have any questions and we'll get back to you. And if you have any insights or uh, comments about the show, feel free to uh, DM me on Twitter at Matt Botker, so at M A T T B O E T T G E R. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again on Friday. Take care.